It's time for a new evolution in raising golfers, one that doesn't involve headaches, tears, or heading down the path of unknown. Whether you're trying to introduce children to the game of golf, help them play competitively, or play at a collegiate level, you're in the right place. This show is for any parent, player, or coach who wants to build a better team at home and on the golf course. This is the Raising Golfers Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Raising Golfers Podcast. I am your host, Travis Hauser, PGA professional here in Carlsbad, California. This week, I'm so excited to have Mel Sampat back on the podcast. He was here in season two speaking about how he was raising his young golfers in the game. He is also an active listener of the podcast, and from what I've seen, Mel has a growth mindset and is constantly educating himself in so many ways, including how to best raise his children. So he will also share some of his big takeaways from what he has learned, and he always has so many great resources for us to look into. Today, he and I are going to talk about what has changed recently with him raising his children in the game of golf, and then some of his great ideas for scoring with young junior golfers. All right, Mel, I'm so excited to have you here back on the podcast. It's just, it's really good to have people come back onto the podcast for more than one episode because, you know, I think the first thing is that we see eye to eye in so many ways in raising golfers. And there's so many topics that we can discuss and talk about. And you being a parent of two young golfers, you know, you're right there on the front line with these young junior golfers and you really experience raising these golfers. So you've got a lot to share and a lot of cool ideas. And I'm sure every day you you come home from the golf course or the park, wherever it may be with your children, you've got these new ideas that spark. And I think having you share those with us is going to be exciting. So thanks for joining us again, Mel. You're welcome, Travis. I'm really glad to be back. And exactly what you said, you know, it's great to talk to another dad, another uh, golfer who's, uh, who's raising kids. And I'm sure, you know, there are listeners out there who uh, have older kids who've got teenagers and they're looking at us like, oh, you guys have babies, you know, you, you know, nothing. But hopefully <laughs> some of the things we talk about uh, apply to golfers, junior golfers of all ages and not just a, not just six year olds. Oh, absolutely. I, I think so. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think about the same thing as well. And I'm sure there's things as fathers that we will obviously learn and those hiccups will come across as they do get older. But I do think some of the things don't change, you know, as far as the ideas of you know really creating these positive experiences for these golfers first right whether they are six years old or whether they're 12 years old and i think that can stay consistent for sure so yeah i totally agree with you you um you know it's been a it's been a little while since we had our last conversation you know what kind of new golf adventures have you guys been on or experiencing or activities recently that might be new what what have you guys been up to Sure. Yeah. So I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old and uh, I try to keep them active in golf, you know, at least two or three times a week. I'll take them to the park, hit some balls. These days it's been getting dark uh, a little early. So I try to take them before school. Um, Oh, that's cool. On our way way to school, we'll stop at the park. We hit some balls. My four-year-old is just obsessed with Star Wars. I think I mentioned this earlier in a previous episode. So what he likes to do is he'll have his bike, uh, is, you know, parked uh, about 50 yards away from us and he'll start hitting balls towards it and he'll pretend like the balls are x-wings and uh fighter jets and stuff flying at the bike he loves that you know i can't get i can't get him to stop doing that that's cool he won't he doesn't want to go to school he'll just say can i hit 50 more balls (laughs) that's awesome Uh, yeah yeah and i have to drag him away from the park and say kid it's time to go to school you hit enough balls today 
and it's great, you know, but you got to keep coming up with stuff like that because soon he's going to get bored of that and he's going to have, he's going to want to do something else. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think that just ties in just, you know, if there's any new listeners coming on the podcast, um, with my mini golfers, they're age three and four and then five and six, this is two classes I run. And I think, you know, I got this from Kate Tempesta. She's from Birdie Basics and basically said, you know, we're wired for story. And so in those classes, I also do a lot of story-based learning, story-based golf experiences. And that's pretty much exactly what you're doing right there with your youngest. And that's what keeps them engaged. And that's why they want to hit 50 more balls. It may not even be the fact that he wants to necessarily play golf per se, right? And I'm not just saying your son. I'm just saying just generally with children. You know, a lot of times they're learning golf without even realizing they're learning golf because of these other things related to the story. And I think that's so important. Awesome that he's having that experience and you're providing that for him. So that's really cool, Mel. Yeah, you, you have to use it while it lasts because my six-year-old won't fall for that trick anymore. She, If I tell her, hey, you know, here's a princess castle and you're hitting, uh, you're, you're, you're shooting balls into the castle, she, she won't have that. She's like, no, dad, this is golf. <laughs> just say it's golf. <laughs> so, so, man, just milk it while you can because <laughs> then great. you have to come up with something else. That's great. I love that. That's a really good idea. That's I appreciate you sharing that. So then, you know, with those, you know, early morning experiences, since our last conversation, have you learned anything new about raising your young golfers since the last time we spoke? You know, um, my daughter just turned six and I realized that she's she's getting to the point where she's 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 getting really good and uh, and she's almost uh, um, out of my um my comfort level now and I have to really hire a professional to take it from here. Mm. So I've been looking around for a good coach and just uh, start kind of uh, lessons for her, maybe maybe a small group or private. And I, I think, you know, as a parent, you always have to look for when is the right time for you to step back and let someone else take over, mm. even though it's very tempting to think you can do it all and just keep working on it. Um, you, you've got to know when you uh, when the time is right. That's yeah, I I, I totally agree. I'm curious, just from your parents perspective, what kinds of things are you looking for in a coach right now for your daughter who's six years old? Yeah, so her swing is uh, at a point where, uh, you know, some things are inconsistent. And when I try to fix them, it it gets to a point where she gets frustrated with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because because when I t- when I teach, I'm not a golf professional. And when I tell her things, you know, sometimes the things I'm telling her don't, don't line up. And she says, yeah, you know, you, last time you told me not to do that. And this time you're telling me to do this. So which one is it? Mm-hmm. And, and those are the moments when I feel like, right, right. I, I, uh, I, should, I should probably know what I'm talking about when I'm, uh, when I'm telling you not, not to do this. And, and I'd rather have, um, have a coach uh, fix that and tell you why that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And so, you know, there, there are certainly roles that a parent can perform and should be, should continue performing over the long term, you know, um, motivating a child, being a good role model, making time in in their schedule and all of those things. But there are things that you should leave to a professional when the time comes um, and, 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 and just kind of step back and let them, let, let them take care of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's that part of it. And then there's just like the emotional connection with you being who you are, which is dad. Right. And, you know, I've had this experience even with my own family members. Like I don't give golf lessons to my brother, my dad, you know, they see me as younger brother. They see me as son. They don't see me as golf coach. Right. And because of that, you know, I'm going to steer them in other directions. And it's not always the case, but I would say from my experience being a golf coach, 90% of the time you see that a lot. 
And, um, you know, so there's the balance between those two things, like what you described there as far as far as finding real professional help. But then also there's the emotional connection and the roles that children see us in as being parents. And so um, it's interesting you're going through that transition now. It's very interesting. Yeah, that's cool. I'm excited to hear, you know, what comes of it and what you, you know, what's in the future with that. So that's cool. And now let's hear a message from our show sponsor. Hey, guys. This last spring, I teamed up with Operation 36 here at our facility in Carlsbad, California, and it has completely changed my way of coaching and service to my customers. Operation 36 is a developmental golf program designed to take beginners from playing their first round to being able to shoot par or better for nine holes. So here's how it works. Participants attend weekly one-hour classes and work through a six-level curriculum. They then play in nine-hole events once or twice a month with a common goal to shoot 36 or better from different distances. And using the Operation 36 app, coaches can plan programs, communicate with families, and track students' progress. It's really, really cool. If you're a parent listening, search for a program near you on their website at operation36.golf forward slash juniors. And coaches, if you'd like to start a program at your facility, go to the same website, operation36.golf forward slash coaches. Now, Mel, we're going to talk about lost scoring things today. And also a little bit about what we can do inside if, um, you know, it's cold outside, depending on where these listeners are in the world, on rainy days, anybody experiences those. Let's start with the scoring. I'm, I'm really curious, you know, what you're doing with two young golfers. And I don't know if you're going to speak more for your older daughter, or younger son, or both of them. But, you know, the question I think I would have at this age or around this level of development would be, should you keep score? And if so, how would you suggest or what have you found the best way to keep score at this um, this stage where they're at right now? Yeah, so the short answer to this, you know, the TLDR version, Travis, is yes, you should, you should keep score, especially when you're practicing, you, you need to keep score. For the long answer, I want to go into uh, a book that we've recommended on this podcast in the past, which is Peak by Eric... Uh, by Anders Ericsson. Mm-hmm. And in that book, um, so bear with me, I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the most interesting parts of this book. Yeah, let's hear he, it. Talks about, he talks about an experiment they did on a guy named uh, Steve Falloon. What they did was they taught this guy to uh, memorize a uh, sequence of digits, uh, you know, just random digits like five, four, one, one, two, three, four, you know, just, just keep going and going and see how, how many of those he can memorize. Now, keep in mind, this guy wasn't a genius. He wasn't any kind of special human being. He was just some some random guy from, from uh, you know, like a graduate class or something. And they just plucked him out of there and said, hey, we're going to teach you how to memorize a sequence of numbers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in the beginning, he was able to memorize five, six uh, digits. And over time, it got to 20, a couple dozen. And then eventually, by the end of this whole series of experiments, he was able to memorize 82 completely random digits and then recite them back. To his, uh, to, to the person conducting the experiment. Now, the reason I, I I I share this is because they, you know, the way they went about this was they didn't have him come into the lab every day and say, "Hey, Steve, let's see what you can do today," and you know, we'll see how many you can memorize. Then come back tomorrow. We'll 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 do some more. You know, if that sounds familiar, that sometimes sometimes that's how we we take our kids to the driving range and say, "Let's see, you know, hit some balls today. Let's see, have a little fun." And uh, you'll try to do better tomorrow. But that's not the way uh, they, they trained this guy. They kept track of exactly how many digits he was able to memorize. And when he came back the next day, they said, okay, so you did 20 yesterday. 
Let's see if you can do 21 today and 22 the next day and slowly, slowly build up to, uh, to as many as he can do. This is called peak, uh, sorry, um, uh, this is called deliberate practice. Uh, peak is the name of the mm -hmm. book. But this, this whole, the way they did this is called deliberate practice. And it's all about performing and practicing at the limits of your abilities. Mm -hmm. um, if you are constantly practicing in your comfort zone, you know, for Steve, it would have been, you know, five digits or what most humans can memorize as a phone number, like seven digits or 10 digits. He wouldn't have gotten better. He would have successfully memorized any combination of seven or 10 digits, but he would never have gotten beyond that. Mm -hmm. The reason he was able to, to get better and better over time is because he kept performing and practicing at the limits of his ability. Now, this is what we want to do when we are practicing golf or tennis or any kind of skill that requires certain amount of practice and deliberate practice. You always want to practice at the, at the maximum or just past the maximum ability you have right now. And you can't do that. You can't do that unless you, you know what your maximum is, what, you know, what is your current ability and how do you perform just past that. In fact, in the book, um, the author talks about how if you only perform, if you only practice at your comfort level, not only do you not get better, but you can actually get worse over time. You That's get worse because, yeah, your body just adapts to performing at that level and gradually you lose whatever you've built up and you just get uh, get worse over a long, long period of time. But you certainly don't get better. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, if, if you want to get better and better, you have to keep performing at the limits of your abilities. And, and to do that, you need to know uh, where you currently are. And that's why I think it's uh, it's really important to to track your practice. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some ways you can do that, what to track. We'll talk about all of those. Um, uh, but before we get there, I want to say one more one more thing. You know, there as important as it is to keep score, it is equally important to not keep score. Mm. Uh, you want to give your kids uh, games and practice sessions where you're not tracking anything and you're just having fun, and and that's a you know a huge part of it. That Absolutely, there, has, there have to be stress free moments for sure. There needs to be a balance for sure. Now I'm going to backtrack with the book because I read the book myself and I remember that experiment. And I remember thinking, you know they were actually listing out some of the numbers, like the random numbers they were putting out in the experiment, right? And I was thinking like, just in my head, I was doing that. And I'm like, I could probably by the end of today get to maybe, I don't know, maybe up to 10 or something like that. But I remember that experiment, but I'm going to also play it back to something I just mentioned on the previous, one of the previous episodes talking about goals and talking about like almost having these like stretch goals where basically they kind of stretch you to, you know, a limit where maybe the task at hand or during the process, it's a little bit challenging, not overbearing, but at the same time, it's not too easy and boring where you decide just also to walk away from it. So what you described there and what you described in the book, and I think what you're relating to also with just practice and scoring as well with junior golfers is, is that it does kind of have to push them to, um, it has to push them a little bit further and a little bit further than they actually think they can get to and stretch their goals and their ability to where there's actually a challenge at hand. Now, of course, it's very delicate, especially during certain ages of how to do that. And I think there's a lot of different activities that you can you can do in practices in junior golf. I'll give one, for example, I did this activity, it's called One Step Away. And basically, it's a challenge where you take one step away from the hole, you put a ball down and you have to make the ball in the hole in one or two putts. If you do that, then you take two steps away. 
And then if you make it in one or two putts again, then you do three steps away from the hole. And it keeps progressively moving further and further away. So then it begins to stretch your limits as far as how far away you can get it to make one or two putts to get in the hole. And if you keep track of that, you might remember, okay, so last week in five minutes, I got to six steps away. Let's see if I can get to seven steps away this time. And again, I think that's kind of a, a similar balance of what you're saying yeah, there. Yeah, it sounds just like they trained this guy to remember a sequence of digits. I mean, that's exactly, exactly. what they did. Right. Uh, when you're doing this with juniors, it helps in a, in a different way. You know, if you write that down, uh, that score down from from a previous session, you bring it to your current session. You can show the kid this is where you this is where you were last time. It gives them a number, which is something more tangible than just an abstract idea of what they're supposed to do. Hmm. And then with that number, they can they know mentally what they're aiming for. You know, whether it's six steps or twenty steps, and they know that this is what the 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 goal you know of what they have come to do to the golf course is. Right. I think so. I, I think that's spot on. Exactly. So then, you know, share what have you been doing recently with your children, like in, in line with that? Like what kind of activities or tasks or tracking have you done? And how's that been going? Yeah, so we we do simple things. You know, I'll, uh, the, the most basic thing I'll do is um, I'll take 20 balls and, you know, take them out of the uh, the bucket that we get in the driving range. You know, just just uh, put only 20 balls down on the black mat. And say, okay, so our goal for this is to, uh, to you know, we, we pick a goal, whether it's distance or accuracy or direction or swing quality, whatever it is. You know, first we'll, we'll go with distance. Let's just go with distance. Uh, I'll say, okay, so Reina, your goal is to hit 70 yards. Uh, and let's see how many of these 20 balls you can get to 70 yards. Uh, last time you hit 12. This time, let's see if you can do 15. Mm-hmm. Really, really simple. And, you know, for a six-year-old, you know, those numbers make perfect sense. You know, they, these are small numbers. They're not exceeding 20. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, she kind of has an idea of what 70 yards and 100 yards are. So mm-hmm. that's what we start with. The next thing we'll start with, and the next thing we'll do is, uh, okay, here's a pitching wedge. You see that flag that's 30 yards away? Let's see how many balls you can land right by the bottom of that flag or within within a few feet of that flag. And then I'll keep track of that as a separate game, you know, making sure I don't combine that with the previous game. And then the next thing I'll do is, you know, uh, similar things. I'll just do, uh, you know, let's see how many balls you can hit without slicing them left and right and just keep track of what percentage of balls don't slice. The important thing is uh, for kids at this age, I, I, I break down these skills into separate games. I don't combine them together because if you try to go for distance and non-slices and loft and all of those things into a single game, it can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So, so just break the break the games down and track four different metrics as opposed to uh, just one, you know, for perfect shots, and 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 just see how far you can go. And and then you can always evolve these games. You know, as your as your junior develops, you're you're moving the goal from seventy yards to hundred yards, or you know, if you're uh, or or you can factor in the non-slicing aspects of the shot into the distance game. Uh, but initially, you know, when you have younger kids, it's it's best to just keep these games separate and focus on one goal at a time. Right. I think there's a couple things I want to uh, touch on here. So first one is I would say a lot of that sounds like, you know, task-based learning. So it's basically a task at hand. Now there is a goal too, but there's a task and it's just like, okay, yeah. you know, you just got to get, here's 20 balls. Let's try to get 12 past 70 yards today, right? That's the task that's at hand, right? And I think what's good about this, and like you said, sometimes, you know, you don't want to get too many things going on so it's not overwhelming, right? I coach a lot like this where I might talk about a technical area within the game or, sorry, within the swing, 
So I'll talk about a technical area within the golf swing, right? Or a concept of how to get the ball in the air, a concept of how to strike the ball in the center of the club face, or a concept of how to control where the club hits the ground in front of the ball. So ball first, contact, ground second. But then I take a step back and say, okay, we've talked about this. You've learned about this. Now, sure, you haven't perfected it, but now here's the task or here's the goal. Now just run with it, right? And I would say that's a very good way of coaching lightly and getting the message across to young junior golfers. Now, that's just one way, right? Then you also have like games-based learning as well. And that would be different where then it turns into a game, like things you've been doing with Star Wars with your younger son, those types of activities, right? And I think that's really, really cool. Now, my follow-up to you as being a dad would be, how do things go when she doesn't reach the goal or the task? Let's just say she had 12 shots out of the 20 last time to 70 yards, but this time she has 10. What do you guys talk about? How does that go? Yeah, you, that's a that's a great question, and I wish I knew uh, the you know a really good answer to that. There there isn't. You know, it's, a, right. it's different every, every time. You know, sometimes it's a it can it can be false praise. Yeah, yeah, it's it's where you know you, you, you praise the effort. Pray, you know, just mm-hmm. just to tell them that well, you know, you tried really hard, and sometimes uh, you know even grown ups can't can't do what they came to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go, let's go get some uh, some food. Let's go have a snack, uh, and 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 try to just uh, uh, celebrate the fact that we're on the golf course. You know, point out some squirrels or point out some some other kids who are struggling, or just you know just just try to uh, uh, think positive. Uh, right. always, uh, it always hip, helps to have a good snack after, or take the kid to your, to a favorite place to eat. And that reminds me, you know, it's always good to have a, uh, a fallback plan in case things don't go as planned, have a restaurant in mind where, where there isn't a big wait so you 100%. Can get down to business. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I think when you do that and you reward, not necessarily whether you pass the goal or not, right. Or shot the score or not, it's, you're, you're really encouraging the process more than you are just the outcome, right? And yeah. so if they can always fall back on, like you said before, the M&Ms, right? Or fall back on their favorite restaurant or fall back on, hey, we're going to get ice cream ice cream today, right? That shows and sends a clear message to, this, to the juniors that, you know, this is a process. You're working on the process. You gave you your best effort. I know you didn't achieve the goal today. Nothing is linear, but, you know, you gave your best effort and look, we're still celebrating those small wins. Of course. And just by the mere fact that you're keeping score means there will be disappointment. But I think the benefits of this process of tracking your progress is worth the pain you're going to feel sometimes when there is disappointment to deal with. Mm, For sure. A hundred percent. Have you seen any trends with, you know, let's just say what some of the tasks that you have for your daughter, like after tracking it over a period of time, have you have you noticed any connections and trends, whether let's just say she performs better in the mornings or performs better in the afternoons based on her energy level or, um, you know, scores that she's had or related to weather or anything else emotionally? Have you seen any trends re- after tracking it for a period of time? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, besides the driving range practice, I also track her games. And, uh, the, you know, we, we, we discussed this at length in a previous episode where, you know, I talked about the scorecard that I use. Uh, so, yeah, I do, I do track these things. And um, uh, I also track her, her score while playing. And I've noticed that she actually plays better when we're paired up with random people. <laughs> she plays worse when she's playing just with me. 
You know? Interesting. So I almost, That's I very almost interesting. wish that the golf course would pair us up with two random people when we go out to play, because <laughs> then she has a has a little bit of a you know incentive to perform, uh, right? Instead of when she's just with dad. Uh, of course, the weather helps, and you know uh, other other variables like like you know having had a nice breakfast, all those things help. But but I think the the biggest driver has been having people with us. That's fascinating, isn't it? You know, and imagine too, if all of a sudden then it's with her friends with her as well. Right. And, um, you know, I've found this as well as some of my junior golfers in my program, how they perform when they're paired up with their friends versus how they perform when they're paired up with just some other players. And I ask a lot of junior golfers, I need to bring some of these juniors onto my podcast because just talking to them and asking them these questions about, you know, I ask them, I say, you know, why do you like golf? What is it about golf that you like? And like you see research online that says why children like sports. And it's totally true. Number one, because my friends do it. Yeah. Number one, right? Uh, why do you like to go on the golf course and play on the golf course? Oh, because my friends are out there with me and it's fun or I like the challenge. Those kinds of things. Those always come up, right? So even though you get paired with people you don't know, it just creates this like environment, like you said, that gives her extra incentive to perform. And that environment pushes us as humans to you know perform a task or perform at hand or whatever it may be, right? And so it's fascinating that she probably subconsciously feels the environment is different when it's just you and her versus when there's other people paired up. And for whatever reason, you've seen that trend in the scores. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And the opposite is true too. So when we, uh, we've played with a couple of her school friends and it gets worse when she's playing right? with her. Yeah. They just want to uh, goof around, uh, be crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I, 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 I try to discourage playing with her friends, at least at this age, I'm sure it gets, uh, you know, it, it turns into the opposite as the kids get older. And when they're closer to teenagers, they actually enjoy playing. They, they perform better when they're playing with their friends. But in kindergarten, and you can't keep, keep a couple of kindergartners uh, focused on golf. Well, maybe those rounds, maybe you, you can still do them. But maybe the outcome there isn't necessarily the performance or the score, but more just the experience for her, just having a good time at the golf course. You know, and then just having a balance of that back and, you know, a little bit here and there. And that way it kind of keeps the golf course experience still is like, oh, this is such a great thing because, you know, sometimes I go out and play with my friends. Sometimes I don't. But my image of what the golf course is, is a fun thing, you know, so. Yeah, maybe. yeah. It goes back to what I said. You know, there are some games you just don't don't even bother trying to keep score because it's right. just going to skew your average <laughs> way lower. <laughs> Right, exactly. When they're chasing all the birds and the ducks and stuff like that, you know, at yeah. that age, right? It's yeah, just like, throw away the scorecards. It's, it's, yeah, there's no point, right? <laughs> Sometimes they even forget that their ball's in the green and they just go to the next tee box or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, so you're, you're tracking these scores, um, you know, whether it's driving range activities, course play activities. What are you using to track the scores? Like, how, how are you collecting all this information? Sure, sure. So... Um, ultimately, this stuff has to end up in some digital way, you know, whether uh, I've used everything. I've used Google Docs as a spreadsheet. I've used uh, an, an iPhone app called Tally, which is just a way to capture numbers across anything you, you want to track, even glasses of water you drink. Um, there's another uh, free service called Airtable that lets you basically make a database with any, any columns and rows you, you want to define, and then you can track whatever metrics you want. So you, you can you can have your pick. And, and for, for golf games, I use Golf Shot. That's, that's a really nice app. It's free if you don't want to use their GPS capabilities and just use it as a scorecard. So it's a really good way to track your scores. Uh, 
Um, so these are great. Uh, the caveat, though, is that I don't do any of this digital stuff, iPhone stuff, uh, on the golf course. On the golf course, I basically have a pencil and paper, maybe a clipboard when I go to the driving range. Uh, the reasons are, are it can be very distracting to to pull out a phone every couple of minutes to to enter a score, you know, even if the phone turns off and then the, the kid thinks you're playing with your phone or you're getting distracted, you can you can see an email come in and you can just totally lose your 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 focus on what you're there for. Um, another thing is, you know, carrying a clipboard and a piece of paper with you can you can show the kid, you can show your your son or daughter, uh, here's here's the goal, you know, keep your mind on this. Um, but on a phone, if you show it to them, you know, their minds just starts thinking about YouTube and, you know, the things <laughs> that they like to do on your phone. Yeah, it's so, so, I, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do any kind of score tracking, um, with, with, with a smartphone on, mm. on the golf course. Um, uh, so yeah, you, just use pen and paper when you get, when you get back home, uh, you, you can digitize the scores and whatever analytics app you want. You know, the simplest one is just Google docs with the with their spreadsheets. Mm, I like that. Okay, I'll share those in the show notes as well. All right, so those are some really good ideas and, you know, cool things that you're doing as far as keeping score and tracking. And again, you know, Mel, just like last time when I'm having this conversation with you, it starts to spark some ideas for me, what I can do with my own children, and then also for my students in my golf classes. And just to let you know, I have taken on the idea of the scorecard that you shared with me last time. And it's really, really cool. You know, we think of new ideas of, okay, we're on the golf course. We have a few golf related tasks, but let's make sure we see an airplane. Let's make sure we can find a squirrel and see a bird. And we've had a a few funny situations where we, you know, we get all the golf related things off the task. We find a few of the things and it's like, okay, we haven't seen a squirrel. So then we either, if we have a golf cart, we'll just bomb around the course somewhere until we find a squirrel, right? And then check that off. And I'll tell you what, my oldest son, he is so excited, right? He's not thinking necessarily about the golf and the performance and all that so much. But again, it's just creating this positive environment. So again, some really cool ideas there. And um, yeah, it's awesome. You know, these ideas of how to track and then again, kind of stretching those goals already in a very, very gentle way, even starting at a young age. So great ideas. Thanks so much for sharing that. All right. Moving to the next section, you know, you, you've talked about some suggestions that you've had, whether it's indoor practice, things you can do at home, or, you know, again, listeners around the world, some some people right now are listening, they're looking outside and they got six feet of snow outside. You know, what kind of activities would you suggest to keep junior golfers engaged in the game during the winter or during times where we can't go outside and play? So there are lots of things you can do within your house that that are golf related, uh, the most obvious one is just get a, uh, get a putting mat. I mean, that's, uh, you know, there's the cliche of the, the, uh, the C- old, you know, CEO with a putting mat in his office, you mm-hmm. know, the evil, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, CEO of a company who's going to lay everyone off and he's, he's putting in his office, but it doesn't <laughs> have to be like that. You know, your, your, your kids can have a blast putting balls into a little mat in the house. Um, you should also be uh, working on the golf swing, as uh, as as everyone knows. The swing is so so difficult, you know, to master. There's mm-hmm. so many little moving parts, you know, the how far back you go and and the hinge and the twisting your your wrist as you come in and how far to follow back. And you know, if you don't practice those things, what I found is they they start to degrade even within a week. Uh, I found that if we if we don't work on our swing, it starts to to get worse, and then. When you come back to hit some balls, you have to cover some some, some ground which you thought you already had. Mm. 
so so I think uh, just working on the swing uh, even even during the winter is, uh, is is pretty important. So you can get some plastic balls, which which you can hit indoors, which hopefully don't damage your walls. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, sometimes they do. Sometimes it's not the balls; it's the clubs. <laughs> you, you're too close to a wall and you swing, and it's the right. it's the club that makes a ding in your wall, and then you get yelled at. Um, the, if if you if you don't want to deal with uh, plastic balls, you can always get a smash bag. Uh, you know, it's one of those bags you can buy on Amazon for like twenty, ten, ten, fifteen dollars. You stuff it with old clothes, and and you just start start whacking away at it as hard as you can mm. it teaches a few different skills it, it it helps you work on your on your swing but it also teaches you the confidence to to come in much much harder with with, with a lot more uh force maybe travis you can talk about uh the smash bags and if they're if they're appropriate for juniors well yeah i mean i think you know i think the first thing to think about with junior golfers you know in relation to that is speed and speed is really really important for junior golfers and what's encouraged, at least from, you know, fitness professionals, from what I have learned in the training courses that I've done, is that for junior golfers, speed's a really important thing. And I would say just to sum that up is if junior golfers can start to swing faster and harder, and let's just say there's no golf ball there, they begin to find the most efficient way to create speed. And ironically, that also can help with their form of their golf swing. So, you know, to swing efficiently, obviously, you know, from a very technical standpoint, the club has to travel on an ideal plane or path that the club comes down on, and that's going to help with that efficiency. So for junior golfers, if you start doing things like that, you know, speed training per se, it does actually help them develop and them naturally begin to find an efficient way to generate more speed. So, you know, you have ground force reactions, you've got a lot of different things going on in the sw swing with torque, and again, just the kinematic sequence of the swing of, again, how different moving parts of the lower body, the upper body, the arms, the wrists all move in sequence in ideal sequence. But in a very simplified manner, if you have a smash bag or if you've got other ways of training speed, again, it helps the junior golfers begin to naturally find that efficiency in their swing. And so I think those that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. And just to add one more thing, if you don't even have a smash bag or if you don't want to get one, you can still practice your swing because you can uh, you can pretend there is a ball there and you can practice brushing against a rug or a mat on the floor. And what you're looking for is that that, you know, that that brushing sound as as your as your um, uh, club slides over the uh, over the rug or the mat. And you'll be surprised, you know, even when I practice myself, there are so many times when I'll, I'll do that and, 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 and the club doesn't make contact with the floor. And I know I would have topped a ball that, 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 that if had, had there been a ball there. So, right. so merely doing that, uh, you know, helps you avoid the, the topped balls. And, and that's, that's a pretty important thing to do when you're on the golf course. Absolutely. Ball striking is uh, the key of the game. So yeah. Are you tracking any progress or anything related to indoor activities uh, while you, you know, while your children are doing these things? Not really. I mean, I, I tried, we have a, we have a bit of a, um, we have a putting mat, a pretty large one. And I, I thought about tracking that, but you know, inside the house, it's not the same environment. You know, they, they don't want to worry about how long they practice and they just can't seem to focus enough in the house. Hmm. So, so in the house, it's just like, you take what you can get. You know, if I right. can get two or three minutes of focus, then that's that's all I. It's I just keeping about. them engaged yeah. in the game, right? And um, you know, again, still keeping it positive, where maybe they start creating some of their own activities and games with on the putting mat or you know on the smash bag or whatever it may be, right? 
So, okay, so that's awesome. And One more thing I'll, I'll add, which is actually not golf related. Uh, you know, I, my daughter's been taking some tennis lessons too. And uh, her coach recommended this, uh, you know, it's, it's this, this, this contraption. It's really cool. It's made by Billie Jean King, uh, the, the, the former tennis player, you know, world champion. Some people may have heard about her. So it's this, it's this like thing that, you know, you, it's, it's a stationary tennis practice thing where you hit the ball. It just like swings back and comes back to you. So you don't have to go chasing after balls. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep that in the living room. And that's really easy to track. You, your, your kid can just keep hitting balls and we set a timer for four minutes or five minutes and she'll hit about 80 tennis balls uh, with this contraption. Of course, you can put a link to it in your in your show notes. Yes. And it's, it's a really great way to develop a backswing. And some of the things you learn by, by playing tennis can also translate to golf. So that's a really cool uh, training aid. So you use it for golf and for tennis? Well, we only use it for tennis. There's, it doesn't uh, use it a golf club. It uses a tennis racket, obviously. Okay. So you can't, you can't use it for golf. But I think, uh, um, you know, I wish there was something like that for golf. Uh, but to the extent that we uh, we use it, it's only for tennis. I see. Okay. So yeah, I'll definitely share that in the show notes as well. That's great. And you know, w- when your kids are doing these activities inside the house, is you know, do you find it's less motivating for them to do activities in the house because of the other distractions? Uh, you know, you mentioned you, you you sometimes mention a time limit or is there a best time of the day that you find that these activities in the house seem to work with your children? Yeah, for you know, kids, how, do you, how do you bounce it out? Uh, yeah, for kids this age, at least the, the ones that hate going to bed at night, it works best when it's time to go to bed and they, they're like, hey, <laughs> we don't want to go to sleep yet. So the choices are you can hit a tennis ball for five <laughs> minutes or go, go do some putting practice for five minutes or you're off to bed. So <laughs> it works best at 8.30, you know, or 8.15 when they have to go to sleep and there's nothing else. <laughs> I like that. All right, that's good. Now, you know, some people decide, you know, through the winter months, maybe it's a time to take a break from sports. What are your thoughts about taking breaks? Have you guys taken any breaks or stepped away for a few weeks or a month or whatever? You know, we haven't been playing uh, golf for enough seasons to know what can happen if you take extended breaks. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, there are times when, you know, we, we'd go on vacation or traveling, we somehow end up not playing golf for a couple of weeks. And I've noticed that um, the swing does degrade. So, um, and, and that just might be because this, you know, my kids are too young and they haven't uh, mastered the swing enough that they can sustain a long, long break. Mm. Um, but I I would think uh, it, it does degrade for, for everyone. I'm, I've seen myself, you know, if I take extended breaks, I, I have to re- familiarize myself with some of the things I, uh, I, I used to know how to do uh, right. when it comes to golf. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's hard uh, to get back into it. And I, 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 I wish people would uh, continue practice through the winter months if they can. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe what you could do is, is, you know, for listeners is instead of taking like maybe a full on stop or a full on break, maybe just be like, okay, so we were practicing three, four times a week, you know, maybe, just to keep the interest level high enough, but at the same time, not letting them step completely away from the game. Maybe let's just bring that down to one or two times a week and through the winter months, just to kind of keep them still engaged with the game. And then, you know, then once, you know, sun's back out and we can get back outside, then that might be a time to go back into it. Um, And that might even encourage them with just taking just a tiny little, not break, but just not as hardcore into the sport. It might encourage them to get more excited to come back and then, you know, start playing every day again. Yeah, and of course it depends on what 
people's ultimate goals are. You know, golf isn't the only game, and there are games which are better suited for winter. Absolutely. You, can, you know, of course, focus on those games during the winter months, um, and and come back to golf later. But if if you want, you know, especially if you're hoping to do tournament play and if you're hoping to play at a more advanced level, then I I wouldn't risk those skills degrading over the winter months. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good suggestion there. So Mel, recently you watched King Richard and it's about Serena and Venus William, uh, Serena and Venus Williams. And I'm really curious to hear about your takeaways from this because their father was the one who basically coached them through the sport all the way up into basically where they are today. And I've, and I, I've seen some videos of them at a very young age that some of the local news channels did. And this is like dating back to, I want to say the 1990s. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what's this about first and foremost, and then we'll get into some of the details of your takeaways from it. I'm, I'm sure that everything in this movie um, is based on reality, but there is a little bit of uh you know, creative freedom there. So yeah, it's a it's a great movie. I I, I encourage any parent who's pursuing a uh, um, sports um, uh, career or even to just you know higher level sports uh, uh, success for their kids. Watch this movie. It's like you said. It's about Richard Williams who coached his two daughters, Serena and Venus Williams, when they were when they were younger and got them into uh, playing professional tennis. So I can I can talk about some of my takeaways from the movie. Um, Absolutely. First, yeah. uh, the, the big one is uh, that behind every, behind most uh, successful, you know, parent-child partnerships, uh, parent-child athletic partnerships is often a, um, a parent who is often un- unnoticed, uh, unappreciated, underappreciated. And that's, in this case, it was their mom. Um, uh, and her name was Orsine Price. Most people haven't heard of her, her. You know, most people don't know that she's also a tennis coach, and she was instrumental in teaching Venus some of the foundations of tennis. She doesn't get as much credit as she deserves. Just like a lot of our spouses, you know, it's usually the dads who take their kids to the golf course, mm. uh, but it's the moms uh, or the other parent who is, uh, you know, doing all the other work. You know, keeping the kids fed, keeping the kids healthy and emotionally balanced and well rested and sleep and medicine and bandages and you know just keeping the kids uh, happy and ready to perform when they're out on the golf course so i think you, you know i want to give a big shout out to all the parents who are not physically at the golf course but who do so much work behind the scenes uh to to make sure that when the kids are on the golf course or on the tennis court they can do their best thank you for saying that that's so true i totally agree with you I, I, you know, thinking about it deeply, it's so true. So it's so kind of you to, to share that and say that. Yeah. Another uh, takeaway is uh, that a parent uh, can often be the best first coach for a child. It helps uh, if the parent uh, themselves play the sport, because then they can they can be the uh, the inspiration and the role model for the child to pursue that sport. In the movie, you see that uh, Richard Williams himself was a tennis player, and he he, he spent a lot of time. Uh, getting better at tennis himself uh, before he got his daughters into tennis. So he knew he knew a little bit about it, and he's he's not different from many of us here listeners who who are not professional golf players, but but they know enough about the game to to introduce it to their their children. Um, right. So, but however, I will say that a, 
a parent's only job, and I think I touched on this earlier in this episode, a parent's job is not just to be a coach, but to eventually know when it's time to uh, get out of the way. Uh, two key moments in the movie are when Richard Williams introduces uh, Venus to her first coach, and he had to try really hard for the coach to accept her. You know, the coach had certain preconceived notions about who should be playing tennis, who he should be coaching. Mm. And, and he ran into a, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, resistance from coaches who would not accept uh, Venus Williams uh, as, as a player. Uh, but, you know, when, when they saw her play, uh, you know, they accepted her and this happened multiple times. So, uh, but it wouldn't have happened if, if Richard hadn't tried so hard to bring his daughters to the, the places where these coaches uh, worked. So, uh, so it's really important for a, a, a parent to recognize when the time is right to let the professionals uh, take over and um, and just you know take it from here. That's great. Yep. Um, and then another another fun thing about the movie, almost uh, almost uh, uh, funny, is you know every time Richard would take the kids to uh, take his daughters over to the tennis court he he made he put up a sign that says you know if you fail to plan plan to fail which is a total cliche uh you know if you if you see that sign you know it's been said a million times but the point the 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 bigger point he's making is you know you have to go into your practices with a plan and if you if you don't have a plan if you don't have a plan not just for that practice but for the longer term then then you're really not accomplishing much you're you're just you're just hitting balls mm-hmm. and that applies to golf as well you know like i said earlier you, you know keeping score uh, tracking your progress all those things are should be part of a bigger plan um, and if you if you're not going to plan then then you're you're not getting much out of your time mm-hmm. yeah that's uh, so, great yeah yeah so so these these are some some of the uh uh takeaways but it's just a a, a good movie it's not um i mean you know uh, my wife and i felt like they didn't give enough credit to the hard work that the girls did to improve their own tennis and they gave uh, maybe they gave a little too much credit to their to their father uh, but you know it's a, it's a movie so absolutely right so it's interesting because you know when you're mentioning these things and then what you've already talked about what you've done with scoring and just some of the other activities that you're you know, thinking about doing with your daughter and then also seeking out for additional help with a professional coach. It sounds like some of these things you saw in the movie, maybe you're already thinking about, but you've already started implementing into some of the things that you do with your daughter and raising your children in the game of golf. Is there anything that you learned from the movie that you would also, in addition to what you've already mentioned, plan to implement in raising your children in the game of golf? I do think uh, as a parent, you have to constantly be vigilant to the changing needs of your of your child. Mm-hmm. What works for them uh, right now or in the current moment might not work for them in, in two years when, when their skills have surpassed what their current coach can teach them or their skills have surpassed the current um, plan that you have. In the movie, you know, Serena and, uh, sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Venus Williams, she was playing tournaments and she was playing those um you know, those, those club tournaments that we all know about, which, uh, you know, uh, just like the, um, uh, the golf tournaments, uh, made by, uh, put on by us kids. So, uh, there's a very clear analogy there to the, to the tournaments we know about, but at some point, uh, Richard Williams decided to pull his daughters out of those tournaments because Venus was winning every one of them. And she wasn't really learning much from those tournaments. So he, he took her out of the tournaments to focus on school and to focus on just uh, letting her grow. Um, and so I think the takeaway there is you always have to 
be ready to change your plan and just be just you know keep looking out for what's what's next for the for the player what would be the best choice for them right now and is what we have right now good enough for what they're doing yeah that's great yeah i think i always say this raising children just generally is a very delicate art you know and there's a very fine line of you know whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing in developing just these children to be great people and you know if the idea is to also help them with their golf game it's still very delicate art so you know i think what you said there is really huge because i think having the idea that change might happen today or tomorrow and that's okay i think is a good mindset to have and i i would say personally it's something that i think i need to think about deeper and realize myself because I sometimes do get a fixed mind and a fixed track of how I imagine things are supposed to progress and go. And that's not just speaking as me as a coach or as a parent, but also as a coach. And I think being able to adapt to that and understand those things, I think is huge. And I think that'll also help to understand that change is also okay, right? Change is okay. And I think that's huge for the development of children for sure. So that's a great point you brought up there. So, Mel, this is your second time here on the Raising Golfers podcast. You shared some really cool ideas and encouragement about, you know, what you're doing with scoring, how you're tracking it, the importance of it, you know, how we can even adapt it to different ages. You've given us some good motivation as well to practice at home. And, you know, I I really like how this kind of ties into goals. And this is, you know, this is the new year. We've got a new year and I hope 2022 is the best year for listeners and raising their junior golfers to really have a positive encouragement and experience towards the game. And I think these things you've shared will really help us out for the new year. So, which is really, really cool. You know, thank you so much for coming on the Raising Golfers podcast and taking the time out of your day and also being an avid listener to the podcast and your ideas that you share is just huge. So, you know, keep up the good work and really look forward to hearing the progress of how things going with you and raising your golfers. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate it. All right, another fantastic interview with Mel Sampat here on the Raising Golfers podcast. I always enjoy the insight he has to share. And me, I always learn something new from him, whether it's being in the parent's role or in the coach's role. And it gives me so many ideas and encouragement and motivation to go out and try so many new things. And it just makes me realize that, you know, in the pursuit of immersing children into the love of the game of golf, He always has these new, really cool ideas and things that I always take away. So I hope you're the same. You took some good notes from this episode. Now, Mel talked about scoring, and scoring doesn't have to be so rigorous. It can be light, it can be fun, and it can be done in a different way. And he's got so many creative ideas and ways he does it with his children. I think it's motivating and encouraging and really gets them excited about the game of golf. Now, here's what I think you need to do if you're not already doing this with your junior golfers is you need to keep the practice sessions light, make sure that they're having fun and praise them on their effort, not on their results. Mel mentioned that things are constantly changing. Children are constantly developing, going through different developmental stages. And he said that you always have to be ready to change the plan and be on the lookout for what is best for our children. And I think if we have that open mind and we have the growth mindset and understand that you know we might have to make some adjustments to the plan that we might have had in our head, I think it'll be really, really beneficial for the junior golfer 
and I think for the relationship between you as a parent or coach with your junior golfers. Mel, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Look forward to hearing your feedback and having you back on the podcast here next week.